You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have one of my oldest friends in the writing business uh, joining me today for what looks like maybe the uh, the last live show of the year. We've got some great uh, best ups coming up and some new content coming for sure, but this may be the last live conversation for the year, and I couldn't think of anyone that I wanted to catch up on 2020 with and really look back at the year and look back at what's happened in publishing and writing over the last several years uh, than my friend Nick Cole. And uh, so here we are with Nick Cole, um, who I believe still holds the record for the most appearances on Author Stories. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Thank you for having me. That that makes, you know, being the Alec Baldwin of this show. <laughs> Is, uh, is but you know you made my day because you said I'm your oldest and best friend and I think I think in the world and the business of writing that is uh, incredibly rare for authors yeah. to actually be genuine and friends and you know and especially after you know this season and the year that everybody's had and then politics it's you know writers are passionate people and they they go around stabbing each other in the back left and right but. You're absolutely right. I think I have known you since about 2013, 2014, and we've always had just a pleasant, pleasant time. And, uh, and, um, I know a lot about your life and you don't know a lot about my life. And so, I mean, I, I think that's what you think when you get into writing, that it's going to be like that. And, uh, sometimes it's a little different. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just look back as, as you were talking because I had to verify, but you were episode four. Cast episode four. And when this one airs, this is probably going to be episode 1021 or so. And uh, it will go back to to episode four. That's that's quite uh, that's quite an accomplishment to you. uh, You were just a baby. This show should really be me interviewing you. (laughs) And so I would say take that take down those 1000 take 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 apart those 1000 shows since i've been on and um distill you know what's the wisdom what 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 i i would ask this what did you learn about writers after 1000 shows well, you know what i've been thinking about this a lot lately nick and um and and a lot of this um it, it, i have had to apply to my own life in the last few years and that is if you're not having fun, you're not doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. And, exactly. and when, when I started and, and you obviously were, um, ha- had a, a head start in writing. Um, but you know, there was a lot of conventional wisdom at the time, um, you know, publish fast, publish quickly, publish a lot. And, uh, you know, it kind of didn't matter. Uh, just, just put a lot out there and, right. uh, and, you know, over the, the last few years, a lot of that conventional wisdom has kind of shaken out, and a lot of those people that espoused a lot of those early 
um, ideas are gone now. And it, it, it's interesting to look back to see what the landscape looks like today compared to then. Yeah, I started off in post-apocalyptic fiction because I liked to envision the end of the world. And I think, you know, career-wise, it, it is interesting. It's it's that same sort of fallout, you know, uh, the Twilight Zone episode, all the books in the world. As you, as you like, when you said that, I was like, okay, I remember at the time when I first started as an indie, um, 2011, it was Amanda Hawking, it was David Locke, yep. and a few others, and and you don't hear about them anymore. You'll hear, you'll you'll hear some names kind of surface that have still been in the game, but even some big names have kind of bowed out. And you're absolutely right. And that was a that was a thing my dad always said to our family, which is, if it ain't fun, we ain't doing it. Yeah. And, and you, you can get into publishing because there, you know, in 2011, there was definitely, there's gold in them, thar hills and everybody, I remember I got on uh, uh newbie's guide to publishing, which is Conrath. Yeah. And, you know, he was talking about his earnings and he was making $69,000 after republishing his backlist every month. And, you know, I started out with my first book, the old man, in the wasteland. I was like, I can do this, you know? And, and I think everybody does, but, uh, I didn't think that, you know, I, you, you like writing when you first start out, it's a lot of fun, but as the model changed and the model grew and you had to get, you know, what Jay, my writing partner in galaxy's edge. And I talk about, uh, Jason Anspach, which is, you know, staying on the back of the tiger, it, the worst thing that can sometimes happen to you. And it's the thing that you want to have happen, which is success. And what happens when you have success is suddenly, you know, 20, 40,000 uh, writers, uh, readers, not fans, I don't like the term fans, but readers or listeners, they suddenly say, feed me, give me more. You know, it's like a machine gun. They want to be belt fed more stories. And, and I would say to everybody, boy, you better, you better love that universe that you're in because you're going to live in it for a while. And if you think that you're going to get out of that universe and you're going to, you're going to take, you know, okay, I was doing space Marine and now I'm going to do fantasy or I'm going to do mystery cozy. And you think all those people are going to follow you. They're not, they stay in the genre and they rarely follow. And so it's weird in the, 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 the legion of indie writers that are out there, very few have been able to pull that sort of magic trick sleight of hand of saying, you loved me here. Now I'm over here. More often than not, they're just, you know, wreckage in the wasteland of that. That guy had a career doing that. That girl had a career doing that. Then they tried to do that and you don't hear from them anymore. So if you, you know, fun, you got to have fun doing it. And I can say, you know, in my own life, I still have fun, you know, writing. I, I, I still have fun editing. Uh, I love it. In fact, like I really, my, my personal wish is that I wish I could have a pocket universe where I could I could turn off time and I could jump in and write six novels, turn time back on, just drop them on everybody and say, cause I, <laughs> I, I'm all about customer service and I know people want these things. And then, then I have the secret mad scientist projects that I want to, I want to say, okay, you thought that was good. How about, how about this weirdo thing? You know, you guys like that. And that's just cause I love, I love entertaining people. Well, speaking of, um, uh, of what you were talking about, about stopping time. I remember a few years ago when you and Jason were first launching Galaxy's Edge that um, you you did this interesting thing where you started teasing out this thing is coming, this Star Wars, not Star Wars. And um, but you held off. Um, you had uh, a couple of things finished, but but held on to them 
Yeah. And and kind of built the anticipation for it so that when you did launch, you had product that you could launch uh, instead of just finishing something, throwing it out there, then rushing to do another one, throwing it out there and, you know, kind of letting the chips fall where they may. It was almost like you were intentional about what you were doing, which flew in the face of the um, the ideas of of indie publishing that were going around at the time. Uh, did you did you foresee that Galaxy's Edge would be what it is today? And, uh, you know, was that intentional that that you guys were being, um, you know, planning ahead of time uh, instead of kind of what else was going on in indie publishing? Yeah, it is interesting. I remember uh, in those heady days of, you know, 2011 to 2000, sort of 17 Amazon there was even a, a big noted, the, you know, the indie bestseller guru guy, you know, we all know his name. And I remember him saying, you know, like, uh, I just wrote a story in two hours and I hit publish. Right. And I think that was all contrived on the part of Amazon to show everybody that you could publish that easy. But it's not a good idea. And it was it was OK then. You know, I mean, like you could get a hit out of one book and and um and, and make a pretty good living for a year off that book, if not more. I mean, remember Andy Weir's The Martian starts off as an, as an indie book and yeah. he does pretty well, you know? And so, yeah. so it, it, it's out there, but I would have, you know, like Jason and I, I had been in another project that had fallen apart and Jason came to me. He's like, you know, I, I want to write this project and I want to write it with you. And I'm like, okay. And, and it was a very exciting project. And so we started putting books together and we, we created, Jason created a subscription method where people could kind of get access to the content. We could try to grow an audience because we knew that the algorithm had undergone a change. We mean, the, you know, for people who don't know, the, the algorithm that runs Amazon and how it suggests books and products to you. And we knew that it was, you know, things were changing. It wasn't the get 25, get 50 reviews, get sticky um, you know, all the magic voodoo we all used to think that that probably was true for a few months. And then Amazon refined and changed it. You know, you've got to get 600 reviews and, you know, you'd go out and get, you know, 599 of your writer friends to give you reviews or or whatever. We knew that the M, the algorithm was starting to it had developed enough of a reader base that it had begun to really um, identify the type of reader. And that if you could get into that sort of group of readers and you could deliver to them in a rapid manner, you could, you had the potential to really hit it. You know, obviously you got to write a good story. Obviously you got to have a great cover, all those things. But it was not until I had a meeting with uh, a science fiction author, Richard Fox, who I think you've, you've interviewed him, right? Oh yeah. Richard's a great friend. Richard's a great guy. And he said, listen, this is how you do it. And he was kind of the one that, that hipped me to the rapid release method. And then there was Chris Fox, um, who Richard learned from. Um, neither of them are related. Right. But, you know, Chris Fox was a data scientist. And he said, listen, there's a secret here to understanding the algorithm and selling it. And once, once you capture it, once you're on it, then these things happen. So until the month before Galaxy's Edge was finished, our intention was the first book. And the second book was just to drop these and see how things went. And if there was response, then you would write more books. And that was really like most people forget that was really how it kind of worked. Write a book, see if everybody likes it, 
then sit down and write another, you know, but and it wasn't like, you know, write it in 30 days. It was like, you know, six months, a year and those kinds of things. And, and the algorithm, you know, like if you can keep feeding it content, it will keep, keep pumping it out to these people who like you. So we decided like, I think it was like March or April that we were going to go ahead and jump on the back of the rapid release tiger with galaxy's edge. And we, we said, let's start stacking books. And we, we launched in June and, uh, as, as the first book hit and it really hit hard, we said, you know, we got to do a book a month now. And so we had a little, we had a little lead, but we didn't have a lot of lead. And so we just, for a short period of time, for about six months, we just started cranking out novels and staying on. It was very hectic. It was very stressful. Uh, I think both Jason and I had, you know, moments where we kind of short circuited brain wise and like, uh, what's reality, what's real life. And, you know, Jason was working, a uh, a regular part-time, a regular full-time job at the career at that time. And I, you know, was, I had Nicole's career, which I had to go with her to LA every night, you know, and acting and things like that. And so that was, you know, so it was, it was a really big commitment, but we did not know that the rapid release method worked. People had told us it worked, but it wasn't widespread. And then we started, we did it. And I think we did it, you know, very successfully. And, and then suddenly new crowds came in and sort of new cults came in. And then it became, I think what the first question was about, about happiness, it became two new things that happened. Writers who had written other books that may or may not have been successful started to do a new thing where they said, okay, what's successful? And I'm going to jump on that and I'm going to rapid release. And so genres started getting blown out by people who didn't love it and were just dropping junk into the market and, and trying to draft on it. And at the same time, kind of killing the genre as fast as they could. So it was a wild time. Absolutely. Um, Nick, you, um, Galaxy's Edge has grown to, you know, an entire universe, if you will, um, that spans across four different eras now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, how are you guys um, opening yourselves up to um, allow this story to keep growing and for the universe to keep growing. And what, what are you guys doing to, to keep the material fresh and to keep it, you know, pushing boundaries? We, you know, we, we were, we were deliberate about the story and conscientious about the maintenance of it. So what we never wanted to do was, okay, now we blew up the big death ship in this one. And so now that has to be topped. And we're going to blow up the big death ship in this one. And, but now it's a double hold death ship. So it's even bigger, you know, and now, right. you know, it's a death star, you know, the fleet, all that kind of stuff and, and everything like that. And so we always concentrated on one thing and that like, this was an homage to star Wars after, after Disney canceled the expanded universe. And so, you know, our first hashtag when we market it was star Wars, not star Wars or stormtroopers in Afghanistan. Um, what we wanted to do was be intentional about that storytelling. And so whereas Star Wars is the battle for the Jedi soul, Galaxy's Edge is the battle for the Legionnaire soul, which is the stormtrooper. And so it really is a people piece. It is, it is a lot of action. It is, it is, um, you know, it's a, it's very Star Wars feel and tone and nature, very military, not a lot of Jedi voodoo mysticism. And we looked at things that Star Wars did 
that I think now, if you kind of look at what Star Wars is doing and trying to rebuild the brand is, you know, we didn't get into everybody is some related to somebody and somehow, and right. you know, it's, it's, it's very much a living, breathing universe. And so, um, we don't have any sacred cows. We have characters that people love that have died. Um, we, we, we always stay true to the storytelling instead of trying to do something, uh, for the sake of doing it or, you know, uh, you know, something false. And, and I think that the, the filter that Jason and I have is that we discuss everything and sometimes several times a day and several times a week as we develop plots, as we both write things, we go through each, each other's work. Um, Jason's got an excellent mind. Like I'll, I'm a little fudgy. Like I'll forget that we did something or I'll be honest. Sometimes I want to do something for the sake of doing things. And Jason will say, that's, 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 that's kind of hacky. And, and I, and I've learned to listen to Jason. I'll be like, yeah, you're right. That's kind of, that's a little shameless or whatever. Um, I have strengths that I bring to it. Jason has strengths that he brings to it. And so I think, and, and, and then the, the last thing that I would say is going back to that expanded universe uh, fiasco with Disney, basically telling everybody who ever believed in star Wars, Hey, what you, what you, what you collected and read all these years, th that means nothing. That's not going to happen in these movies. What we always looked at the audience when we wanted to market to them was we looked at them as pit bulls who had been wounded, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and abused <laughs> by Disney. And so what we said is we're never going to do that. We're never going to do a cash grab. We're never going to do Star Wars babies. You know, we're never going to, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to keep it true to what it is. And so that guides every decision. And it's weird. We'll, we get business offers all the time. You know, we got this guy who wanted us, you know, like to, he wanted to produce some alternative media content and, you know, he's like, oh, and I produced these other things, you know, that really weren't galaxy's edge and were actually quite offensive. And we just said, no, 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 but that's, that's not something that we're going to be a part of. We've had people, you know, like, and, and, and it's just, it, 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 we won't do anything for money because we always go back to, we got to take care of the readers and the listeners first. And, you know, we've turned down money and so I, we just had a Hollywood meeting two weeks ago and, and they said, you know, um, what are some of the impediments to us bringing this to studios? And I, I had to say something honest first. I said, I'm the biggest impediment first off. And they said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very politically active for a certain party and, and I'm very opinionated about that. And I, I don't, you know, like I'm, a, I'm all about. I'm a constitutional conservative and, and I'm all about truth and free speech. And sure. I said, I, I don't think right now those kind of things are popular in Hollywood. And I don't think people are interested in those stories. I said, also, we tell pro-military stories. And this is a point that Jason makes and hammers in repeatedly. And he made it better than I did. But we don't tell the military story, which is very typical in Hollywood, which is you went off and you fought in the military and your friend got killed and you're wounded. And now you should feel bad about the military industrial complex. And, um, you know, the, everybody's lied to you. And that's a very typical Hollywood military story. Right. We tell pro-military stories because there are, and I'm one of those people who have served in the military and we love it. And it was a great experience. And there are dudes that, that love it even more at higher levels. It's not everything is a bad experience. But Hollywood loves to dive in on sort of that Charlie Shin platoon, platoon character. And, 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 and we, we don't do that. We said, you know, that's, that's, you know, 
our audience loves the military. If they're, if they haven't been in the military, they're very pro-military and they're right and they're left and, you know, they're anarchists and they're commies and, uh, they're, you know, hardcore conservatives and, and Republicans and MAGA crowd. They're all those people, but they, all of them, you know, and it's weird to understand in this culture, but all of those people with all their disseparate interests really do support the military. You can be those things and really support the military. And they don't want to see us coming in and, and having Hollywood take the story and, you know, make it platoon in space, you know, and make it, you know, all, and, and lies and the government. So, you know, and if you don't think they do that, they, they did it with the second season and Amazon of, of Jack Ryan. When, you know, we, we had a deal with Audible and they said, we looked at, you know, we want to sign a deal with you guys because after Jack Ryan, we saw that we had a vast underserved military audience that really wanted pro-military content. And so we said, okay, we'll, we'll sign an exclusive deal with you. And then they went right out, you know, the other arm of the company went right out and made just awful garbage out of a, out of a good show that, that embodied all that stuff. So I said, your two problems are, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very opinionated person about truth and free speech. And, and, you know, that's not always, that's, that's not always clean as it sounds. Um, I support everybody's right to say stupid shit. Excuse my language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make a cut. I support everybody's right to say su- stupid stuff, you know, and that's, that's what free speech is. Um, and, and that's not popular right now. And at the same time, we're not going to tell something that diminishes what our audience believes in. There's no amount of money that's worth that for us. And so we have very tight. So those are all the steps that you try to do because, and and I know I've given a long answer about this, but here's the, here's the thing that kind of coalesces it. We didn't just write a book or write a series from the very first moment we were deliberate. And, and a lot of the credit goes to Jason on this. We decided to create a brand. And when you create a brand, you begin to, whether you understand it or cognizant of it or not, you are thinking about the larger picture and, and boy, does it come in later when you get success because the brand is still guiding everything. We're probably one of the only science fiction franchises in indie that actually has a style book that we paid a lot of money to develop. Um, so that anybody working with us, whether it's artists or even audible has taken our style style book, they know exactly the intentions of the product and everything like that. And that all comes from building a brand and it comes from anticipating success. And everybody says, Oh yeah, you know, it's easy to look at someone when they have success and say, Oh, I was, you know, uh, of course you were going to be, no, we didn't think that at the time we didn't think we were going to be successful. But what we said is let's plan on being successful. And so if we're going to plan on successful, what are the steps we would do now? that we would appreciate a year down the road when we are successful. So that was, well, that was a long answer. (laughs) Jackson's battle to take control over his own mind and life portrays what millions of people are fighting with around the world, mental illness. His mother, desperate to free him from his demons and desperation, faces her own turmoil and anguish, doing anything possible to save her son through love and hope. After countless emotional and heartbreaking triumphant moments, June and her son must both accept that only Jackson can save himself. Pick up Jackson by Lynn McLaughlin and discover why people are raving about this book and saying things like, 
Jackson is symbolic of millions living with some form of mental illness, and his mother represents the millions who have their own struggles caring for someone with a mental health issue. Jackson by Lynn McLaughlin. Pick it up today at Amazon.com. Both Barrels Publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author James P. Sumner. He has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career, meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community. Knowing the struggles of the modern-day indie author as well as he does, he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level to learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden costs, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. BothBarrelsPublishing.com well, Nick, you you brought up the subject of free speech, and and I want to go there for just a minute. Sure. Um, there was a time where in this country, if uh, if if you believed something that I did not, um, I would not try to cancel you. And I'm I'm making air quotes cancel. Uh, I remember as a kid, um, growing up in uh in the deep South in a state that is, is just um, almost 50, 50 black and white. Um, And I remember there being a parade when I was in high school of the Ku Klux Klan, where they had a parade in the middle of our town. And I remember people lining up on the sides of the street to oppose them, not in support. I don't remember seeing one person that supported um, the people in the parade and it, it almost being, um, one of these things where, um, you know, come watch the shit show if you, if you will. Um, you know, it was, um, it it was bizarre and, uh, and I don't remember ever seeing support for that yet. They had a peaceful parade and were allowed to, you know, hand out their, their hatred or whatever. And, um, and I remember when it was over, it was just over. Like people went back to their life and it was not, uh, you know, we didn't really talk about it. It it was just, you know, that, that, that's who they were. They're, um, they're wrong. They're weird. Um, but they have the right to do that. And, and I remember uh, there was a time when you could, uh, people would actually say, um, I hate what you have to say. I vehemently oppose it yet I will fight for your right to say it. And, um, and, and we're not in those, those days anymore. If, if you don't like what someone has to say, um, then, then you have to, you have to deplatform them. You have to, you know, take away their uh, ability to make a living. It's, it, it's, it's kind of strange 
uh, times that we're living in. And um, and it used to be that you would think that the arts and and writing uh, it, it should be you know part of the arts. Um, that that was the place where you could go where you were safe to say things that were not popular. Um, but we find ourselves in in 2020, especially where we've seen example of example of example of people that have you know said the wrong thing on Twitter, and all of a sudden they don't have a career anymore. Um, what do you think about this? And you know how can we as writers and people in the writing community, uh, or just in the community of free and open ideas? Um, what can we do to change this culture? You know, it's, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's, I, I think I still struggle with that every day, like not understanding that, like, well, how can you just say, we don't want to hear that. And so it can't be said, or like, I think, you know, we pay attention to the writing community. Um, and you'll see, and it happens in YA a lot, or it happens over in romance. And someone said something that I didn't like. And so now they're canceled. And I've seen it like where, you know, someone tried to write something pro, you know, I've seen it in the YA community. And another person came in and said, you know, you don't have the authority to write that. And so you're canceled and the person apologizes and people may not know, but the, you know, this happened to me when I was traditionally published at Harper Collins, I wrote something in a chapter in a book called control Alt revolt. And they were so offended by it. They said, you know, you need to change this. And I said, well, I don't want to change it as part of the story. And they said, change it or else through my agent. And I opted for or else. And it was one of the best decisions of my life. What can you do? You can't change anybody. Like people are going to do what we're go they're going to do. And I think, I think it's only going to get worse because I think big tech, um, has now just proven the ability to silence anyone in any, anything that they don't like or agree with. And they have, you know, such a culture that's interested in shutting these things down. But having said that, you still, you still play the, you know, it's like, you know, you still play the game on Friday night, even when the team is, the other team is better than you. You play for the hometown team, you play for truth, you get up there and you speak and you keep doing it until they shut you down. I've been canceled and I still sell a lot of books. Um, I, it's just, it's, it's, there's a bigger problem for me and it's, it's the writing community itself. I, I, all the writers, the first thing I would say is all the writers that I know, like you, I cultivate them and I cultivate my friendships. And when I do a podcast like this, or sometimes I'll kind of guru about publishing and I'll, I'll say something on Twitter um, you know, and I'll, I'll give like, here's some things that you can do to get more sales or things like that. And I have the street cred to talk about that and someone will follow me and I can tell, you know, like they'll have the, the typical things in their bio, New York bestselling author, you know, and you're like, no, you and 25 of your friends did an anthology and managed to get 10,000. So you're not really a New right. York, you know, time there's all these tricks and cons. And then they'll actually pay attention to my Twitter feed which Twitter is my dumpster fire. Twitter is where I go. To, <laughs> it's everybody's you know, dumpster fire. Yeah, like, and they'll be, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're such a bigot. You know, or like, you know, someone, it was funny, someone left a, a review for Control-Alt-Revolt. You know, and I, I love Nick Cole, but it's amazing finding out, it's like finding out your favorite uncle is a neo-Nazi. You know, it's the emotional children's guide to everyone I don't like is this this name. And that's 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 not free speech, but in the writing community, I have never, and you, you know, you and I both know people 
and stories of when, when the community reared up and slapped somebody down and drove them out of publishing. Oh yeah. You know, and, and sometimes it wasn't even for anything legit. Sometimes it was just to save their bacon on an issue, you know, or, or, you know, just kept, but we, we knew that this problem was always there in the writing community because we'd all write a book and then you'd get some nasty review and it just smacked of another writer trying to take you down a peg, trying to thinking that somehow they're playing with the algorithm. But, you know, we knew like we knew that, um, not KDP, but what, get yeah, what's the other, what's the Amazon sort of social media group, uh, the Kindle keyboards. Yes. Yes. You know, that's a dumpster fire. Yeah. And I've not know, even thought about keyboards and I know because yeah. it just, it was so toxic. It drove you away. Right. But here's what I, here's the realization I came to. Cause I, I used to have all kinds of writer friends and then I started getting rid of them. Because they're leftists, generally, writers tend to be leftists. And I have no problem with that. But what I had a problem with them was, is one thing, they would show up in my feed and be shitty and, and say, you know, not nice things. And we know now that, you know, social media is effectively using a credit score system. And so they'll, they'll sort of like report your posts and try to silence you. And, and then they'll get together with other writers. And I've, I've observed groups like just, you know, people who I thought were my friends really talking nasty about me um, because they didn't agree with me politically because I supported Trump. I like Trump. He's a lot of fun, but I like to cause trouble and Trump is, you know, trouble personified. Um, but I like the things that he's, he's done. And, you know, there's, there's the, not everything, you know, who likes everything that everybody does. I would, I would, it would be insane to think that you like everything about, I mean, you would be like in a cult if you right. thought the person in your party did everything right. Everybody does something wrong. But the thing, some of the things that Trump does with capitalism and, and deregulation are, are things I'm really big, a big fan of and, and judges and things like that. Does that make me Hitler? No, but to that other side, when they don't like you, the, the national dialogue has become, if you don't agree with me, then you're bad. And it's so heavy in the writing community. But here's the thing I would really say to everybody, and it's maybe something, you know, last conversation of the year. It's something that you might want to think about because it was a bolt of lightning out of a blue sky. When one day I realized, why am I friends with writers? Because writers don't buy your books. Right. And writers don't sell your books. And, you know, like you can listen to this podcast if you want to get better at writing because writers come on here and talk about it. But if you think that those writers, you know, it's, you know, when you first start out, we all get into it. Michael Bunker got me onto Facebook. And he's like, I read your book and I think you should be on Facebook. And suddenly I had this huge, you know, uh, friend circle of a lot of other writers. And I think initially there's something nice about that. You know, you can all encourage each other and you can all talk with each other, but it's so toxic now. And we know writers who just hover over social media all day instead of doing what you should do, which is work. But I would just say, here's what I learned about social media. You don't actually sell books on social media. You curate your audience. So everybody who liked Galaxy's Edge, I want them to find me on social media because that helps me select my audience. It helps me get in, uh, get in touch with them. They want to ask questions about the books, not other writers. Writers don't do anything for me and I don't do anything for them. And I don't want to read their books and they don't want to read my book. And, you know, a, a new writer will call me up and say, you know, can you, can you stop everything that you're doing? You know, like 
and I make, you know, if I break down my, my time, I make a lot of money every day writing. And they're like, can you read my book? And you're like, I really can't, you know, and then there's, there's negative things about that. Or it's just how writers are awful people. And that, and I'm an awful person and all writers are awful people. <laughs> and the reason that they're awful, you know, a lot of us, like we are nice, like Hank is a very nice person, but there's some devil in Hank and there's some devil in me too, because guess what we have to do as writers? We have to, we have to play both the devil and the hero. And so there, you know, the, and, and, and there's that potential in all of us to be nasty. Now, some of us are governed by, you know, I don't think that's a good way to do things and everything like that. And other people on both sides get a little zealous and they read, you know, I saw someone go after Jim Butcher the other day because he just made one. Now, if you know, Jim Butcher, he's probably more, you know, like the person that was criticizing, but they didn't like one sentence he wrote. And so therefore Jim Butcher was to be banned. I'm like, mm, I don't think, you know, Jim Butcher, you know, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying he's this guy, but I'm not saying he's the guy that you're saying he is, but it's that scanning for offense thing and everything. And so I would just say to everybody going into this new year, really look at your associations with writers. If you're a writer and, and look at, is that doing anything for you? Yes. As, as a uh, Raymond Chandler said, writing is a lonely business. But maybe it's supposed to be that way. Maybe well, you'll get more work done. And, and to your point, um, impressing other writers or looking for accolades from your quote unquote peers um, is, is a lot less productive than going out and finding your readers. Exactly. Finding your readers are what will sustain you long term yeah. not the not the pats on on your back from other writers no and if you think any writer is ever happy for your success they're not because <laughs> they wanted that success i mean now that we all like oh congratulations and everything like that but they're you know all it's you know we're all trying to do a good job so it does like it's weird i went to a convention a writing convention i don't go to them but i wanted to check this one out and i wanted to hang out with some people and everybody at the convention, everybody speaking at the convention, everybody sitting there, the crux of everything that I heard was I did these 10 steps and then I quit my job. And, and I was like, that's not what writing is about. And, yeah. and I don't know that you should be in a community that's reinforcing that. Right. What you should, you should, you know, like your readers, like, and, and this is another Jason thing. I praise him a lot, but I should, cause he's, he's really smart. He should be on the show, but, um, you know, he'll, he'll do polls and tests with the galaxy's edge audience. And he'll ask them questions about where they want to go. You would think that you would ask, I think, you know, 2011 indie Amazon writers would all ask each other. And you know, who there are writers out there who will give you bad advice because you know, there's, there are people in your hometown will you say, you know, where, where's the DQ and they'll be all, Oh, it's, you know, six streets up and off to your left. And they'll just send you off on a wild goose chase because they think that's funny. You know, and it is kind of funny, but there are writers out there who will give you bad advice because they view you as competition or they just want to mess with you. And so, you know, I think, I think a show like this is a, is a great way for everybody to be a part of the writing community. And you'd honestly be served if this was the extent of it. Don't be yeah. in writing groups. Don't have writing hashtags. You should spend all of your time, all of your computer time or social media time trying to interact with potential readers, trying to find potential readers or creating more content 
because when you do have success, because you want to anticipate success, boy, you will wish you had more content because Jason, I've noticed as soon as we drop a novel two days later, they'll say, when's the next one? There's not enough time, but (laughs) you'll see these tribes of writers, you know, they've, they've, they've cornered the girl who is Asian and she wrote about African-American homosexual slaves. And, and the other community said, you're Asian. You shouldn't be writing about that. You're canceled. And you're like, all of you could have been spending time writing instead of ending someone's career because you didn't like what they had to say. And what about free speech? Anybody can say anything that they want. Now, not everything is good to say. Not everything is. There are things that you can say that should legitimately end your career because everybody looks at you like those clowns in the KKK rally marching down the street and they go, that's son. That's what stupid looks like. And that's, and we should always have that, but you should be allowed to march down the street in a robe. If that's the idiocy that you want to get up to, or if you want to write something that's blatantly offensive, people should be able to look at it and go, that's what bad looks like, but not, but not going onto social media and having someone deplatformed and having their money taken away and things like that. Because once you can do that, the evil people have learned they can do it to anybody and any, anything, everything is offensive to someone. Well, and the interesting thing is uh, that the market has a way of filtering out uh, what does not deserve to be there. Um, If, if a writer has legitimately uh, frightening ideas, um, then you have to trust that, that people won't support that. And, and eventually um, you know, I talked about going to that parade when I was in high school, and to that point, that was the last parade um, of that sort that happened because there was no support for it. There was there was no uh, there was no traction to be gotten uh, from those uh, you know outdated ideas and those ideas of hatred. There's just there's no room for that. Therefore, uh, it it goes out of business, so to speak. Uh, and you have to assume the same thing in, in publishing. You know, it, it, if, if, if ideas are truly, um, damaging, uh, then, then there won't be a market for that and uh, allow those things to, to work themselves out instead of everyone, you know, strapping on a sheriff's badge and going after what they don't like. Yeah. Or so that, yeah, that the sheriff's, but you're absolutely right. That I I've seen now in the social media and I just, I just block people now. Like, and I feel bad when writers, you know, want to friend me and stuff like that. I'm like, well, it's just a matter of time before you figure this one out. Or I just want to even friend them now, but they've all appointed themselves sort of fact checkers and they're going to call and I don't have time for that. So I just made a conscientious effort to start, you know, limiting those people and limiting my interactions with them and getting rid of them. But it is, it, it the, you know, my wife is an opera singer. And she was having some vocal issues a few years back and her coach said, listen, I want you to go and coach with this jazz coach in, uh, in Hollywood. And so we went and coached with me. He's a great guy. And, and he said, listen, this is how, you know, how you, how you do, you, do you know how you do jazz, which is the opposite of opera. Everything in opera is precision, you know, and it's, it's sort of like surgery, it's brain surgery. And he said, that's not how we do it in jazz In jazz. What we do is we do wrong things so that we can get rid of those. We try to like, we know that if we, we select the right thing by doing 20 wrong things and we figure out what doesn't work and, and what's left is what works for jazz. 
And so I think that's like, you know, we have this wonderful device called the internet and we can all communicate and no one ever talks about the revolution that is Amazon that Jeff Bezos gave us. Thanks to God, where we didn't have to go through the, the filter of publishers in New York who were selecting their ideas and their projects and, you know, making sure their friends got everything. At least with Amazon, everybody can go on into the Thunderdome, you know, hit publish and the market can value it. And sometimes the market values just terrible things and ridiculous things, but they like the story. But the open exchange of ideas helps us to find what doesn't work. And what I'm afraid of right now is the certainty in our culture, like especially with, you know, the virus and things like that. There's this absolute certainty about every opinion on both sides, but sometimes it tends more towards the left. They're certain about everything. And you want to say, you know, everything that you guys hold up, all in the past, there have been people that have paid with their lives for mistakes. And you're so certain about anything. And anytime anybody comes in to say, I don't agree with that. I I don't think we should wear masks. I, I think that there's some health concerns with that. And I think that there's some problems with that. And I think there's another way to do this. We've watched that person be deplatformed or someone comes in and says, you know, I think we should do this with politics. And they go, you know, you're, you're trying to kill us all. Everything like every time that was a funny thing for the whole four years, every time Trump did something, they said, you know, if he got out of the Paris climate courts, there's going to be 40 million dead. If, if he, if he did net neutrality, there's going to be a hundred million dead. Like, and they, it was so many dead in the end, there were no, there was not enough of us in the United States, but you know, when you get to this point where no one can discuss the bad ideas, then you're in, you're in danger of just, you know, hearing what you want to hear. I know a famous author, you, you, you interviewed Karen Travis, right? Yes. Yeah. And Karen Travis is a national treasure for America. Too bad England's got her, but you know, she wrote, you know, the Republican commando stories and the halo stories. And, and, you know, she's a big time media tie-in author and she's a wonderful person. And she said, you know, when she was at Del Rey writing the Star Wars stories, that editorially they kept being driven towards things that, that, that the audience wanted. And then when they wrote those books, a large, and I know because there are a lot of Galaxy's Entryers, a lot of people reacted badly to those things and they didn't like them. And they went back and they said, yeah, but when we looked at our boards and we were listening to our audience and there was this overwhelming support to go this editorial direction. And we did it. Why did it resonate so badly with the audience? And, and this one writer actually hired some computer people and went through and they found out in the end, there were 12 IP addresses driving that discussion and wow. making it seem like it was a wave of opinion and certainty and all those kinds of things. I think the last thing anybody should be doing in 2020 is being certain about anything. If someone says, I want to wear baloney for a mask. And I've got the science to prove it. Let him wear the mask. Let's, 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 let's look at it. You know, let's, let's do those things, but let's not just ham handedly say the discussion can't be there. And, and then let's silence it. I think the, uh, unfortunately, I think that's just the way that it's going to go. And I think it's going that way in writing. And like I said, it's an uphill battle, but you got to keep doing it because the last thing in the world you want is where that sort of certainty goes which it's becomes a cult. And in the end, it's just a cult leader telling everybody everything and everybody's sitting there going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe. And if you don't think that can happen, it's really weird. But 
Speaking of great podcasts, you should, have you ever listened to Leah Ramini's Scientology podcast? Not the podcast, but I've seen, um, yeah. uh, several of her specials and, and, and different yeah. interviews that she's the done. Pod, they, they say a really brilliant thing on there. No one joins a cult. You know, you just, <laughs> you just, you think it's something else. And then one day you end up in a cult and sometimes, right. you know, writing is a little bit like that, especially when we all fall into the sway of one persuader and this person's got the how to get more sales. And then suddenly you're all, you know, in lockstep and you're, you're, you're assassinating each other and everything like that. Having said that on a positive note, writing is a lot of fun. It's, it's like playing Dungeons and Dragons all by yourself with a perfect campaign. And that's, that's about as good as it should be. I don't know that any other writers do anything for you. And maybe this is the year where people just sort of have their own compass. They get pedagogy from shows like this, but really look at, you know, what are the writers in your life doing for you? And nine times out of 10, I, what I've seen is their liabilities um, and they can hurt your career. There are people that don't have careers now that have been driven out of writing because another group of writers didn't like them for something that they believed. And, and I know one specific instance, I don't think that person has anything offensive that they believe, but they just became the object of, you know, let's get, you know, the, as George Orwell said, the two minutes hate and, and it drove them out of writing. It's a sad state of affairs. Um, but a lot of that can be cured by writing what you love and finding people that love what you write and pursuing that and that stop getting caught up in, uh, and the adulation of others and the uh, fitting into someone's click. That's, it's never going to end well. No, or just, you know, and have like, I think you were talking about this earlier this week, but you know, have a sense of humor. If you're right. on Facebook, don't, it's not your job to confront and attack writer. You know, all of us writers are pretty weird. Yeah. And, and you know, if you, if you, you know, just let them be and you know, you know, I don't know, but the, this, this desire for all of us to approve of, everything that's acceptable and to disapprove of everything that's not acceptable. There's things that I just flat out disagree with. And, and I don't always, I don't share those with people. I, I mean, like I, I don't, you know, I'll just, here's the thing. I'll be honest. I don't like when people color their hair, strange colors. You know, <laughs> I, I think that's a little, it's a sign of mental illness, but that's, that's just my opinion. And I can be wrong with it. But when I see someone who does it on face, you know, social media, I don't feel the need to jump in there and tell them that they're working something out in their lives and it may be helping them. And I may be wrong. And the reason I use that is because I see the example coming the other way where someone says, you know, you, you vote this way or you feel this thing. And, and so you're wrong and you need to be confronted and, you know, your books are trash all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I have those things too. As passionately as you feel about that, everybody, the, the person you're usually attacking has that same passionate feeling. It's just what we were taught long ago is it's not your job to go around and tell everybody, but it's weird. The internet kind of gave the sheriff's badge, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, it's the end of the year. Um, we were talking before we started recording about just this sense of, you know, um, I'm, I'm kind of exhausted uh, at the end of this year. This has been a crazy year. Um, I had COVID back in February. Um, it took a lot out of me and, uh, you know, I'm, but I'm back in the fight. It, it didn't take me down. Uh, a lot of other people have had it. There's been, 
you know, politics have been all over the place. Um, and, and, you know, it, we're at the end of, of, of a year where we can reflect back on what we've accomplished and kind of gear up for a new year to come. Uh, what are you guys looking forward to for 2021? Um, I know Forgotten Ruin is coming yep. up. Um, yep. what, what else, what else is coming up next year? It's a, you know, Forgotten Rune is a new IP and again, intentional about the IP. Jason and I spent two years discussing that IP to get it to where we think it is. And the early reception is good. I have a new series coming out, uh, which is called Strange Company. And that's pretty exciting. Jason has a couple of other partner series he's doing with Jay and Chaney, Wayward Galaxy. And then I forget the name of the other one. So I think we're just all writing because we love writing. And like I said, I think every, every real writer, you know, you're a real writer when you do wish for that pocket universe, not because you want to catch up or not because you want to do things, but because, you know, like we're like, we're like the circus carny that comes to town and we just want to show everybody like, Hey, want to see Jojo, the three headed dog boy, you know, and you want, <laughs> you want to throw hammers at the, at the bearded lady and things like that. You know, like we just, I think, if you get a thrill out of entertaining people, then that's, that's what writing is. And so I'm doing those things. I think, you know, galaxy's edge has a good shot at becoming a media property because the response from that Hollywood meeting I had when I told them, you know, what are the two objections? It's me and the audience. They, we had another discussion and they came back and they said, you know, what we see in the culture is that there's, there's 50% of the money being left on the table because there are people that, you know, main, the mainstream would consider, you know, deplorable and they're not being serviced and they have money and they work hard and we'd like to have them give us that money. Right. So I think galaxy's edge has that as a, as a pretty, pretty good shot. Um, I, I think, you know, I think the bigger, the bigger question is, you know, what's going to happen to, the culture. And, and the, you know, I think we're at a pivotal moment and I, I, I think we're going to probably go socialist. Um, but I think there'll still be free places like Texas and Mississippi. And I think as someone who lives in California, I'm gonna have to make up my mind about where I'm going to go because I just want to live free. And so I write every day. I, I work out every day. I do my philosophical work every day. I only wish that I had more time to tell more stories. I think the audiobooks are about to get huge. Um, and I think that there's a good chance that indies are gonna break into the film market this year, especially people who've taken the time to make IPs and good series and stuff like that. Because when you look at Netflix and Disney, they're both in a spending war right now. And they both need content. I know a lot of content's being bought up. And, you know, Hollywood's mainstream and they always want to, you know, take care of their people, but now the scouts are starting to circulate out into indies who are really the only ones producing content right now and, and selling it. And so I think you can really see some groundbreaking alternative fun shows because I think one of the, the, the primary things that makes indie writers great is that like the first thing that we have to do is entertain and have fun. And people accuse us of writing like cheap, you know, not important novels. And they're right. Like we're more interested in showing people a good time than writing the important, you know, trade pub groundbreaking novel. And so what TV and streaming and film, it's all about fun stuff. So I think this, you know, if, if not the, this year, maybe, but maybe next year, I think you're going to see the indie move into the, the streaming space. 
and you're going to see actual, you know, products out there that, that really came solely from the indie community. And that, that'll be really huge and groundbreaking. More galaxy's edge uh, coming up next year. Yeah, we've got, uh, that we start season two in, uh, in May and, uh, uh, I think we, we've already released it, but, uh, RC Bray is back, um, for season two. And that was a big fan request to have him come back. Um, I've, we've got some, we've got probably about six novels for forgotten ruin. We're going to dive back into the savage wars, uh, which Stephen Lang recorded for us last time around. And that actually won the dragon award at dragon con. So that was pretty exciting. And, um, more Tyrus Rex stories and, you know, galaxy's edge is a living, breathing universe. And, uh, you know, we talk, we talk to people, people send us pitches. We, we weigh those pitches out. We always look at, you know, how can we grow the universe, the GE way we weed out some pitches where people come in and they'll say, I've got this story, but it could be repurposed for GE that we're like, we're not interested in that. Or they'll come in and try to, you know, sell us the groundbreaking story that they think, you know, galaxy's edge needs. And it's like, well, it's, it's not very Canon. So what we're seeing now is like people who read galaxy's edge, they're sending us pitches. Like we just got one today from a really fun up and coming author, Christopher Denote, who's a U.S. Air Force Colonel, and he actually publishes with Bain, and, and he's a reader of GE, and he just sent us today a fantastic pitch, and it was so involved, I felt like I needed to stand up and salute. It was so great. <laughs> That's fantastic. I can't wait to see what's uh, what's coming up next. I've been, you know, a Galaxy's Edge fan since uh, since the announcement, you know, yep, several years ago, and. Uh, I, totally excited to see what's coming up. I'm really excited about Forgotten Ruin. I can't wait to see what you guys are doing there. Um, Nick, absolutely a pleasure to uh, to catch up with you. It's always fun to hang out for a while. Um, tell people where they can find you online if they want to dig into all the amazing stuff that you're doing. I think the best pay place, you know, I, I, I'd like you to get into the novel. So go over to ga- galacticoutlaws.com, which is Galaxy's Edge. Um, and, and, and check out there. You can check me out at Nick Cole books. That's an array of my books. I've got some, some fun, different, interesting books, uh, over there. Um, if you, if you, if you kind of have figured out what I am politically jump on Twitter and you'll find me, um, uh, Facebook, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I think I'm more on Facebook. I, 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 I tend to tend to, um, I, th- I tend to provoke and just ask interesting questions or, or post things, but in all of these things, and it's the thing I would say to everybody, I've never meaned anybody. I never humiliate people for their ideas. I, I do. If I think you're a clown, I think you should have the right to march through that city street and let us all see you as a clown. And so I'm never mean spirited about things. But uh, I, I do think that we should get back to the gentle art of conversation and discussion in listening to people. And um, maybe people are afraid that their minds will be changed. but you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I would say I am the most skeptical Christian you'll ever meet. I'm perfectly willing to disbelieve in Christianity. Someone just has to show me the evidence. And and so sure. far, no one, so no one has, but I think we should all be that, like, just be skeptical about your beliefs, because if your beliefs are true and you believe, you know, that, that Trump is the devil, then he's going to be the devil. He's going to prove you know, that he's El Diablo and horns will grow out of his head and everything like that. But just, you know, don't feel that we, and then the other side, don't feel that you need to sh- shout someone down because Kamala is a terrible president, you know, just listen to their argument and, 
And uh, we're all we've got. I would say this is the last thing I would say. And I'd say this to the American audience. We're all we've got. All of us, as weird as we all are and as disagreeable as, as we all are, we are all we have. The rest of the world hates our guts. Just like just like those writers, you know, no writers happy for your success. America is the most successful nation in the world. And if you don't think all those people would like to see us in poverty and ruined and, you know, second and third fiddle and getting our cup up, come up and they will. But I can tell you this, the people in Texas or Mississippi or New York or California, they're probably more for you than those other countries would be. And, I, you know, I would love for this to be the year when America stops going to war on itself, you know, we can go to war on the politicians, but let's, let's at least have the decency not to annihilate each other. Well, and, and remember that, uh, no matter who you disagree with, we all watch Christmas vacation because we <laughs> want to see crazy, <laughs> crazy cousin Eddie. Let's, let's exactly. be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We all, we, we don't hate each other. We just hate each other's ideas. That's right. That's right. Nick, thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. Um, thank you for being one of my oldest friends in the writing community and uh, keep uh, keep putting out awesome stuff. Thank you, brother man. A hitman with a conscience. Ian Bragg is paid to kill people. Only bad people and not many, but for a great deal of money. Case the target. Make the hit. Move on until he meets the woman with sparkling green eyes who changes everything. A few pre-readers had this to say about Ian Bragg. Mark Dawson, million-selling thriller author, says a rip-roaring ride from start to breathless finish. Craig Martell hit a home run with the operator. The taut, lean prose and lightning-fast pace make this a page-turner without sacrificing an ounce of story or depth. You'll find yourself rooting for the hitman main character as he faces the toughest decision of his career. The Operator is the start of a new thriller series I expect to see burning up bestseller list for years to come, says A.C. Fuller, author of the Crime Beat and Alex Vane media thrillers. Suave, romantic, and lethal, Ian Bragg is everything you want in a highly paid assassin. Can't wait to ride this train, says James Blatch, self-publishing formula. It's been a long time since I fell this hard in love with a book, a very long time. Author of Women of Wine County Romantic Suspense, Terry Wells Brown says, Grab this book from Craig Martell, The Operator. Bone Thief, John Driscoll, Book One by Thomas O'Callaghan. A sociopathic killer is using the internet to lure seemingly random women to their gruesome deaths in New York City. During his heinous murder spree, this madman is extracting the bones of his victims. His sheer brutality has the residents of the Big Apple in panic mode. Who is this twisted psycho who's abducted a housewife in broad daylight only to dispose of her lifeless body alongside a lake in Prospect Park, nailed the boneless remains of a nameless drifter to the underside of a boardwalk at Rockaway Beach, allowed the gutted corpse of a single parent to wash ashore under the Brooklyn Bridge, and has had the audacity to leave the desecrated body of the Magnolia Tea heiress rotting atop trash at one of the city's sanitation dumps. NYPD's top cop, Homicide Commander John W. Driscoll, has never witnessed such savagery. Hammered daily by the district attorney, the mayor, and the police commissioner, the lieutenant, 
who's battling his own inner demons, must use every resource available to put an end to the killings. In a race against time, Driscoll, aided by Sergeant Alagante and Detective Cedric Tomlinson, sets out on a roller coaster of an investigation to first identify the villainous fiend and then put an end to his butchering. Grab Bone Thief by Thomas O'Callaghan now.